Welcome to a Words, Beats, and Life podcast. This episode features the Alternative Winter Break series. What's going on, world? Thanks so much for tuning in to this is day Wednesday, day three of this week of the Alternative Winter Break Media Arts Edition. Uh, if you've tuned in for the previous shows, you know yesterday we had Davey D and and uh, Jeff Chang, and then on Monday um, we kicked this week off with another amazing panel featuring um, substantial art and music. A husband and wife duo, they're co-CEOs of a company right here in Washington, D.C. And today, um, we got somebody who goes all the way back to the very first edition of the Words, Beats, and Life Journal back at the University of Maryland in 2002, an, an epic and amazing poet, and and that acclaim, that acclaim was like the least of all of her acclaims. But we give her we give her props no matter what. It's our good friend, Jessica Caremore. Yo, did you say 2002? Wow, we've been rolling a long time. I, I, just, I still remember that like it was yesterday. I really do. I think I'm. This is true. This are you is stunned? true. You hear me? Okay. <laughs> like, I was like, are you frozen? Are we frozen? <laughs> I will get frozen every once in a while, but but you, you know you know how we do. We're gonna keep I just it rolling. Do a robot when you're frozen. I just robot. So, but I was saying like that. I remember that 2002 event. It was freaking amazing. I can't believe it was that long ago. It's like 2021, and I look exactly the same. I don't. I don't know what was in the water in the part of Detroit where you're living, but you need to ship some of that to DC because I definitely have more hair. More strands. It's all good. I got more hair now. <laughs> it grew. So, yeah, really wonderful to be here with you. Um, thank you. And you just had on Davey D. I guess my, that's my crazy brother, you know, uh, in the Bay. I love him a lot. We know he's a New York brother, but he didn't, he been in, you know, Oakland so long that he's really an Oakland brother now. So, yeah, he says he, he, he described that yesterday saying he was born in New York, but he was made in the Bay. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, and I do a lot of work in the Bay Area, so I do get to see Davey a lot. And, um, because I brought Black Maroc there to the Yerba Buena Center, I think 2018 or 2019. The years are gone now. We did it twice there. We like turned it all the way out and then they brought us back like three months later. That was my brother, Vamuti. Shout out to Vamuti, Mark Vamuti Joseph, who was the director at that time. So now he's the VP over at the Kennedy Center. So he is, yeah. Everybody's doing doing big things. Big things. Now we're all grown ups, man, like curating and <laughs> producing. And I mean, that's the evolution of. of what's happening with hip hop generation people. Like, you know, there's so many people, um, 70s babies, you know, like that are, are turning like 50 years old, right? This year, like I know so many people, like some people turned 50 last year and then now some of them are turning 50 for the first time this year, the 71 baby. So it's just like, and everybody looks, that I roll with, they look pretty amazing. Like, and we, you know, I think it was so funny because our generation is like, we're old enough to like know really good music. Like we're privileged to have been have access to like good hip hop mm -hmm. and good and good soul music. Like our moms and daddies listened to like Motown, and maybe that we had a, a, a dad or a mom that had jazz vinyls. So we had like good music, and and still young enough to like keep up 
and be tuned in with like you know the Kendricks and you know um, of course I know Rhapsody and I, and then you know the other ones that are out here that are coming out. There are not too many. I don't like a lot of them. So there's a few. Rhapsody I think is my favorite. You know. Um, out of like people who are, but she ain't just start, you know, just like, it's like finally she just like being recognized more in a more mainstream way. And it's still not enough, you know, it's never enough when you're a woman. Well, since you started talking about, about parents, you're, you're just like the, the best interviewees that I've had so far, they're answering the questions before I get to them. So I want to know how much, of, how much of your family history do you know? Like how many generations back do you have knowledge of? So not enough. Um, my father uh, was born in 1924. So my daddy, it's deep for me because I've been really tapping into my ancestors a lot, especially during this pandemic. And um, it really what that means is that my father is somebody's grandfather's age. And he was born in uh, Madison, Alabama. And uh, Annie Mae Gillum and Barry Lee Moore, those are my grandparents. I never met them. They they were, we don't know how they died. They just died very young. They said my grandmother died of pneumonia. My grandfather may have been killed. or I don't know what happened, but there's all this mystery behind it. So I've actually, uh, am trying to unearth um, some of my roots in Alabama down south. I plan to travel there because of COVID. I wasn't able to spend the time that I wanted to, to do research and, and dig some of that out. I know that we Africans in, in um in Cherokee Indians having babies. So it's indigenous folks and African people. Um, you know, I've done I've done DNA stuff, so I know my people are from Ghana primarily, and then there's some Togo. Um, the, uh, yeah, there's a Benin. Um, that's the traces that I've been able to do without my father being alive. Um, even Portugal was found when my brother did one. So I don't go that far back, my father and then my, and his parents, but my father, you know, because they died young and he was the only child. And so um, not far enough. It's my mother though, who was born in Wolverhampton, England. And funny story, when I was um, in Nova Scotia, I was doing a gig in Nova Scotia in Canada. And I remember my mother telling me that she came over on a boat from England to Canada that she was on this boat called the Aquitania with her whole family during the, after the war. She's three years old, uh, so it's 1947. And, and so I found the pier where my mother's boat on the Aquitania boat were actually, you know, ported. And I went into this little spot to this port number, harbor number, whatever the harbor was. And I said, hey, do you have, a, is there a way to find records of um, my grandparents and things? I gave them my grandfather's name and they literally for $12, I could have a printout. And it was that deep, right? Like the difference between my mother and being able to find um, her people, because of course they're from Europe, and then being having trying to trace my daddy's people from Alabama, <laughs> and um, was almost yeah, it, it has become a very very difficult thing for me. Um, but what I do believe in, though, um, beyond paperwork, um, is ancestor work, and so ancestor work is way deeper than than paperwork. And uh, my ancestors, um, especially my father's side, have been deeply and closely with me on this entire journey that I've been on. And so, um, yeah, I'm Alabama red clay all day and um, definitely got some African woman, you know, following up closely behind me um, on this journey. And I, and I write about my ancestors a lot um, because when you're black, you know, like paperwork just isn't enough. You know, uh, especially if you black and you indigenous, you know, it's like I don't have to tell people. I, I know my great grandfather was was Cherokee Indian. Like we have his photos, but I don't care to like try to prove it. 
I don't, I don't, I don't, it's not a deep need for me. It's all in my face. It's in my grandmother's face. It's in my sister's face. It's in my daddy's. And you just, you know, it's like, you see high cheekbones, you see the, you see African people and we are the diaspora. And that's kind of enough for me, but I would, I am trying to unearth some to go farther back because my father is such an, was such an older, he's 22 years older than my mother. So he's much older. And, and so, yeah. And I realized how close I am. Like I'm just literally one generation away from plantations. I mean, my daddy was, my daddy was born in 1924. So my, my grandparents were born like almost the late 1800s, early 1900s. That's a long, you know, that's like one step away from us really not being free <laughs> in this country. And so, uh, cause I always wonder like where my energy, where the thing that I tap into for the work that I do and the poetry that I write, like where, where is that? Where is the energy? Like I, I have a lot of it, you know what I mean? And I've had so much to say as a young little baby hip hop, you know, poet of the hip hop generation, record I was just a baby on the Apollo. Uh, at 22, I had so much to say, and I haven't really stopped having things to say. And I feel like I'm always just catching up with um, the life path that I've been on, and um, I'm, I'm blessed to be on it. But you know, yeah, ancestor work bigger than paperwork. That's what I. I wonder just if if you if you feel comfortable sharing sharing any of the story of of maybe your parents, how they met knowing that your father was so much older than your mother, like how, where did they meet at? Um, I know, it's so funny. It's so funny. So my mom was 17. She met my daddy um, in Canada at a club. They were hanging out. My daddy was in Detroit at the time. My daddy moved up north from the south um, to get away from the south. My daddy drove Cadillacs and, and was wild. And there's like all this mythology about my daddy, like, you know, beating up a cop and then being on the run and all the kinds of stuff. And he had a... Um, a place called the Dew Drop Inn that he built with his own hands. My daddy was a construction worker. And so he came up uh, up north and, and was always going back to get um, younger people and bringing like folks up to up what they call we up south people, right? To Detroit. So he's in Canada. Canada, for people who don't know, not from Detroit, it's like going from Brooklyn to Harlem. So it's across the street. So we live across the street from another country. So my daddy's in Canada. Um, and my daddy was a good looking man. He looked much younger than what he was. And I'm sure he lied like a rug um, and met my mother. And they fell in love. My mother was married and pregnant with my brother Mark by 18. And so he, she didn't know that he, my daddy had a lot. She knew he was older than her, but I think she thought it was more like 12 years. <laughs> so I think he lied about his age, but um, she clearly loved him because she had four kids with him and, um, and they never divorced. They separated though, when I was um, going into seventh grade, um, she, they never got a legal divorce. You know, how black is that? You just, you just say, forget it. <laughs> you don't ever get the divorce. So that's how they met. So my mother like was at the um, march, you know, when Martin Luther King was here, she went, she was like, you know, hippie um, and very green to America. She's still not uh, an American citizen. So I'm actually working on my dual citizenship um, because she stayed, uh, she kept her, her, her British subject status for in, in honor of her father. Even though when President Obama was running the first time, she almost turned it in and I begged her not to. I wrote a poem about it, like, can you please not do that? Like for me, for me, don't do that. Stay half American. And um, so my family's in Canada and the other half's in, in the South. And so that's how they met. And then they had my brother. And so they were here during the riots. Um, and I, my mom tells a story about my brother, Mark and Johnny, when they were little, my daddy being on the porch during the during the rebellion, as we call it, um, with his rifles. He was a deer hunter, so he had a lot of guns. And um, 
on the and the police came and like dragged him off and arrested him and she didn't know where he was for like two weeks and they went through a lot you know I, I, was t I wish my mother would actually take the moment to like tell her story it's a really interesting story but they she um she had to go to court you know a few times to tell folks that my daddy had not kidnapped her he been he got accused of kidnapping you know i've written poems about him going over the canadian border literally cussing out everybody at the border because they were they would just harass him um um and harass them when they were together she remembers not getting served at restaurants um but they also had like a really she tells me like like going to see um, all kinds of jazz shows and seeing red fox uh, i think at baker's keyboard lounge you know a little jazz by here and um yeah, they was getting it in. And so I think she saw, she see Elvis? I think she saw Elvis here. So at least they had a, a good life, you know, that was before I was born, before my time. But that's how they met, they met at the club, you know. <laughs> that's how I got here. <laughs> my mom was hanging at the club, you know. She didn't know anything about the racism in America, nothing. She was completely like, what is this? When she got here, like had no clue as to how bad um, it really was. And that's why like the things, I watched her happiness when Barack Obama won. It was like, I was like, this Barack Obama, that's my mom's president. She was like, that's like her boyfriend. Like she was, she's cried so much because she never thought in her lifetime she'd see it. Um, and then now with the Trump administration, it's become this other thing for, I think my mother's 76 now. And so to watch that generation go, wow, you know, thinking that we've done this progressive thing and we got a black president for eight years. And then now we have this, did he get impeached yet? Is he, is he not? <laughs> For the speech. Yeah, I turned it off because it was just like I had to turn it off and I just had to say meditate on it. I was like, ancestor, take care of that. So I was just hoping that it happened, you know, light some candles and but doesn't mean he's gone though. He's impeached. That means he ain't gonna get his money. So but he ain't gonna get a secret service. He's not gonna get his million dollars and you know, he's gonna lose his benefits. <laughs> you know, I think that only happens if he gets convicted. Because being impeached is different than being actually put out. So the house can only impeach him, but but this isn't about let's 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 take him out of our mind. Let's take him gone. Bye. I'm curious if, when you think back over your life. I've I've been asking people about their earliest memory of doing something creative, whether that's in your current form or if it was something you were interested. In. What's your earliest memory? Something in elementary school, or even before school, if you remember that far back, where you did something creative. Something. I mean, you know, I used to draw, but I used to draw like. Disney characters and things when I was little. I'm trying to think the real creative. But the first, okay, so when I was nine, though, I tried to write my first novel. I was really addicted to V.C. Andrews books and like Flowers in the Attic, Petals in the Petals in the something. But I, don't, I remember, yeah, Flowers in the Attic was my favorite one. And so I loved V.C. Andrews books and I read a lot of books when I was young. So I was around nine, I was trying to write my first novel. And yeah, I think that's what I remember. Yeah, what, I thought, yeah. What, 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 just your love of books motivated you to want to write a novel? Yeah, my mother, so my mother was an avid, I used to say my mother eats books and she still reads, she's a heavy, she's a, she reads like big, thick memoirs and biography and history. So this is a woman who went to grade 13 in Canada. Um, so reading became, I think, a big outlet for her. And um, so she read, and she didn't read not a lot of fiction. So I was reading like the biography of Janis Joplin because she's like, you know, big hippie. So, um, and yeah, she's reading like, you know, all kinds of people, Jimi Hendrix, and then like the different news anchors. I was reading like about 
Cronkite and I used to I would follow up right behind her and I would read every book with those that was in the house and then she gave me Lorraine Hansberry um Young Gifted and Black she gave me the play and she would give me Alice Walker books because I was I, I read really fast and she reads fast and so um I think she realized that reading was something that I love to do too and so I was an early reader and because of that um, I think that's the I met when you read. I mean, I try to push my son now, who's 14, who doesn't read the same way he did when he was younger. I was trying to get him to like, make sure you have a book in your hand. I like, don't wait for school. Always be reading something. I'm usually reading three or four books at the same time, which is not good. Like, because you don't always finish that way. But I'm kind of got artist, you know, um, attention deficit. And so I get like, oh, I'm into this book, but I'm, you know, I like essays. And so and 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 history and, and memoir and poetry and things i feel like i don't have to read it in such a linear way the only kind of fiction writers i really like um are like octavia butler and uh, tony morrison and i mean I read, i've read terry mcmillan's books and um yeah there's other people out there i'm trying to like diversify my my reading thing but i yeah i really really do enjoy like non-fiction a lot <laughs> and essays and stuff about politics and history, so. Dope. I, I wonder, so we, 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 we remember that you got excited when you were nine years old writing a novel. So then like maybe, can you remember someone maybe in middle school or or high school who encouraged you that wasn't family? Was it a teacher? Was it a was it one of your older brothers? No, it was, it was um, Susan Story, my drama teacher. She saved my life in the Black Box Theater at, uh, not junior high, at Cody High School. Um, from, I went from all white, predominantly white uh, Catholic schools from first to eighth grade to a predominantly black Detroit public high school. And I'm a Cody, proud Cody Comet. And going to Cody changed my life because they had a thing called the Black Box Theater, which is not there anymore, unfortunately, uh, as it is not in a lot of schools. But that Black Box Theater, had a mean, mean ass theater teacher named Susan Story. She was so hard on me. And she's one of my dear friends to this day. And she brought Intazaki Shange's for colored girls into the black box theater when I was in 11th grade. And it blew my mind back. And I always, at that time I was already writing poetry, um, but I was an athlete, you know, I was a four varsity letterman. That's so why I played basketball for four years and volleyball, ran cross country. And I was a baseball player, so I played softball, like second base. And so I was a big, I was a little nerdy jock. And, um, but drama, theater, I learned like To Kill a Mockingbird, I played in that, I was in Greece. And so I love theater and performance. And, but when Intazaki came into my life, everything opened up and then I found Audre Lorde. And then I found, I knew Sonia Sanchez, right? I found Lucille Clifton. I found Dudley Randall's Black Poets Anthology, the Bible, right, if you will. Um, at the time of anthologies for black poets. And so um, my whole world opened up and I mean, Susan's story, she came to, I talk about her often. She's, um, she came to my opening of my, my, my huge techno choreo poem open, uh, which is a homage, it's choreo poem written in what Intozaki created, right? Um, and I brought um, Aku Kadogo and um, who was the woman in yellow from Fagola Girls, the original cast directed and choreographed that piece um, with our sister Marlies Yerby in Detroit. And so, she came to the opening. It was just, it meant everything to have my high school drama teacher there. And, and now, of course, you, as you know, I go I, and, I, and I'm always in front of young people um, in Detroit, especially since I'm based here. Um, I'm always inside some school. I've done a lot of work in jails and juvenile detention centers and prisons, but I hear from those students. Um, I hear from my babies in Lawrence, Kansas. I hear from 
kids in St. Louis, um, and then in Detroit, um, my, my students and my mentees are, um, I hope I've impacted just, you know, what I do with them though, and they do, they're the ones that are amazing. But what I just show them is that I'm possible, which means that they're possible and that I didn't come out of a, you know, a, a big, uh, academically, you know, uh, esteemed <laughs> school and uh, Cody is like a regular ass Detroit public school on the West side. You know, it's not CAS, it's not Renaissance, which is one of the higher achieving kind of schools that people know about. Uh, and a lot of my friends came out of CAS in those schools. And, um, but I, I lived off Joy Road. I had the grades and the smarts to go to any of the other schools, but I wanted to walk to school. And then Cody was my neighborhood school. So let's get back to that again. Anyway, it's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> being able to walk to school. Because of that Apollo experience and the work that you've been putting in for years, you blew up at kind of a young age. Did did you decide to go to college or did you skip it to just become a professional writer? I went to Wayne State. No, I went to Michigan. I went to, from Cody, I went to Michigan State University. I um, was a double major in journalism and political science. Did a year at Michigan State, um, became a real busy activist. (laughs) I think more of an activist than I was anything else. Um, was overwhelmed by Michigan State. I still remember my number. It was 1138544 because I was a number. I didn't belong there. I belonged at Sarah Lawrence. I belonged at the new school. But I was at a Detroit public school and I was just happy to get in any school, um, to be honest. And then my mother didn't have enough money to afford um, my college uh, aspirations. Uh, my daddy drove me to college in his uh, green Cadillac and dropped me off. My daddy had never been to college. My mother never went to college, but I already knew I was going to college. I absolutely went on my own volition. I was like, I'm going. And so I went and I studied and then I left and I came home, went to Wayne County Community, I ended up at Wayne State University. So I studied also double major journalism, political science. My third year of college, I got started working for, I worked for every news station in, I interned at every news station in the city, WWJ Radio News. Um, Channel 50 and uh, NBC, whatever. I worked everywhere and I got I actually landed a, a gig, my, my internship at the this Channel 50 station, which was a Fox station then because um, I, I could write. I could write the newscast. So I was going towards television journalism. I was writing for the Michigan Chronicle freelancing. I wanted to be a writer. So I thought writer meant job meant TV news meant journalist. You know, I wanted to be Carol Simpson. If y'all, you know, y'all too young to know who Carol Simpson is in DC. But I loved Carol Simpson. And um, and I, I looked up to her. I wanted to do politics and world politics. And so, I mean, it's funny because I still do it. I just do it on my uh, without uh, without the white lens and um, with more control over what I get to talk about in a global way. And, and I've been able to actually see the world, not just dream about it. And so poetry um, helped me to be a different kind of uh, documentarian of the times. Um, but journalism, political science. And um, so, yeah, so Wayne State, I was uh, going into my, my, I have like a year left and I moved to Brooklyn. And the rest is history, you know, in my dreams. <laughs> I was, well, I, I, I was living in New York for five months when I won the Apollo. My life changed so fast. It's, yeah, I went from trying to learn the trains to members of the Wu-Tang Clan and KRS-One and Nas knowing who I was. It was crazy. And so um, here I am, you know? Well, so. can we take a quick step back to, to, to Wayne State? I wonder, were, were there were there classes or professors that, that still, like the, the memory of, of the way they engage or, or, or ideas they introduce you to that still like are part of this, this journey? They had an impact on the way you decided to approach your career's development? 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember my kind, of, and I'm losing the person I really want to talk about, so I'll talk about the other professor. But Jack Lessonberry, he's a writer here in Detroit for the Metro Times and very popular political columnist. And um, I remember being in his class, and he was like, um, you're very uh, naive, you know, and, um, and, and idealistic, and I hope you stay that way for a long time. And I, I never forgot him saying that. I saw him years later. I've seen him in the airport. He's from Detroit. And I was like, do you remember me? I was in your journalism political science class. I wrote an essay, um, a, big, a big article for him on, um, uh, oh, that's what I want to remember, Cliff Russell. Cliff Russell, we, I lost him. He's my dear friend. And he was my radio um, teacher. So he's a radio, radio television teacher. And um, and so he was amazing because he took me under his wing. He was a reporter at WWJ, which is like the all news radio station. And he introduced me to uh, Mayor Coleman A. Young. And he told Mayor Coleman Young, like, she's gonna be special one day. And she's a, you know, gonna be a journalist and she's gonna change the world. And he was uh, very impactful. So yeah, those two teachers, they, they were my journalism teachers. You know, I really, really thought I was going to be a, a journalist and I still, um, have aspirations to do documentary film and uh and also i'm writing i'm writing screenplays now though so you know it's all writing right it's all telling stories in different ways um but i did more um organizing <laughs> and take i took over wayne state university when i was there i was on the executive board of the student chapter of the naacp and i was also the co-president of the black student union so um, they didn't have that king holiday when i was at wayne state so the best thing i did at wayne state university was take over the university with um about 300 other students we boycotted the student senate building and we helped establish the king holiday because we're in detroit and they weren't closing classes on the king holiday which we thought was absolutely absurd um, so that's my, you know, that's my, and I got to know Reverend Anthony and Joanne Watson, people who, you know, became mentors in the, in the civil rights, you know, from the civil rights movement and leaders in, in movement work, um, became like, that's what I got out of my college experience. It was more that than it was, um, what I did in the classroom. Yeah, that, that's, I feel like that's a really common experience that, that was a lot of the conversation I had yesterday about the, the ways that their artivism, their activism, the way that being a part of media production um, shaped their activism. I, I wonder, maybe could you share any other stories beyond the, the protesting for the King holiday about your, your undergraduate experience as an activist, as a creative, trying to make change in your community? Well, I mean, that's when I started using poems, you know, to get people to listen to stuff. Like, so, you know, it's one thing to be an activist and say, this is what we have to do. And it's another thing to come out and say, I got this poem <laughs> about this issue that I wrote and I want y'all to listen. It's because I, I didn't, I was an activist. I didn't, consider, I knew I could write poetry, but I didn't consider myself a poet necessarily, right? And so there was a poetry cafe called the Poor, Poor Me Cafe, which is up the street from the college. So I started doing readings there and getting known as a poet. And I started using that as the way for me to actually get people to listen, um, poetry as a tool. And so instead of, you know, poetry just being, yeah, so I mean, I guess that's another way to explain it. That's that was a way. That's something I used during my college career to propel my voice. And um, and I'm a woman, so like women's <laughs> voices were very muted in the hip hop scene. Um, and so I had to break through, and I used this raspy, deep voice, and you know, and my assertiveness <laughs> with mixed with poems to become a real big troublemaker if I wanted to. And so I was just a baby, though, you know. Um, but schools, you know, universities to me were just like opportunities to get a hold of rooms for free. 
so we could do whatever we want to do in them. And so that's why I always tell people, don't go to college just to go to classroom, go, go become like create an organization and build with the other student body um, and, and, and shake some shit up, you know, and use your um, power as students who pay tuition to um, have a voice on the campus. And it's a, it's a good training ground for like what, you know, you might end up doing in the world. And so I learned a lot, you know, as an, as an organizer and as a young activist and how to work with other groups. I, I got on my red hat, you know, it's like Delta's Founders Day. I'm not a Delta, but I have worked with Deltas. I worked with AKAs, I'm doing something with the Alphas in February, you know. Uh, I've done a lot with the Panhellenic, is that what it's called, your organizations? I was just, I think, a little too rowdy. I wanted to be a Q-Dog. Oh, I was trying to pledge Q because <laughs> I like the gold boots and the purple. They were like, Jessica, you are a bona fide maniac. Um, and so, but you, yeah, I learned a lot. Um, from a social standpoint. And um, I don't know, I think that's it. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I, you, you had started to talk about Brooklyn and I, and I brought you back to college. But let, let, so what brought you to Brooklyn? Was it was it a job? Was it just chasing possibility? Yeah, right, what job? No, so Brooklyn. Brooklyn, um, my father passed away in 1994. I just, and my daddy died. I was deep in the movement to get the King holiday established at Wayne State. So my daddy's death away from me to like, you know, kind of find some joy because it was a deep, deep loss for me. Um, I started doing this work on campus. And so um, it was the summer of 94 and um, my, the last poets had come in. It was in 94, no, it was 95. The last poets had come in town. I think it was 94, yeah. I don't know, I can't remember. The last poets came in town and I opened for them. And they said, if you're ever in New York, you know, you should come in town. Um, you should come see us. And I'm like, okay. So this is when I met Baba Doon and Umar and these brothers and Baba Toon, who became like my other fathers in my life. And and so um, I moved to Brooklyn in 95 for no other reason is that I was just chasing poems. I was, I had a purple pickup truck and my daddy was gone and I would have never left Detroit. So my father's passing spiritually was actually the thing that pushed me into another space. Uh, I would have never left my daddy. We were, we were like this, like I wouldn't have left him in Detroit. He wouldn't let me go. And so my mom couldn't stop me and no one else could. And so I popped up my things and I was up for a full-time news position. I should mention that for Channel 50, which is a big deal for a 22 year old, you know, one of the top 10 news market, full-time news writer, weekend producer. So I was next in line for that job. I had been in Channel 50 for three years. They can't rehire me as an intern because they didn't know what else to do with me, except keep trying to make me the intern. And at some point they was like, you need to give me the job. And a writer walked off, like had a breakdown because the producer was like, I guess couldn't she couldn't handle the producer. And they had her, she freaked out. And I was standing there like, I can write the newscast. And that's kind of how I got in positioning for the job. And then I did my interview and the news director, she was, I had been to New York to see my cousin graduate from NYU. And I was like, Yo, New York, man. Like, I need to back there. I need to. And people had told me, Jessica, you need to go to New York. You need to be big, too big for Detroit. You need to. I'm like, okay. And then um, I decided that I was going to go. And I was going to move to Brooklyn. I had my new Eureka about Allow Anthology. Shout out to Miguel Algarine, who just passed away, and to Keith Roach, who was one of my mentors at New Eureka. I didn't know what SLAM was. I was like, what is this thing they do called SLAM? We didn't do that in Detroit. Well, Black folks didn't do it. And so I was trying to find everybody in the anthology, Paul Beattie, I think it was in there, Willie Perdomo, Tracy Morris. I was trying to find them poets and make them my friends. 
and I did. <laughs> some of them are, are not my friends. Some of them, most of them are my friends to this day, and, and more people who were not in that biology. They were they were younger, and so um, I moved to Brooklyn, kind of just in a very dreamy way, not knowing what to expect. Absolutely no job. I took my last check from Channel Fifty, which was like a seven or eight hundred dollar check. I moved in with a sister named Patricia from Jamaica into a share. I never knew what a share was. You move in with a stranger, you share rent. Okay, I did it. Didn't last long, maybe like six months. I had to go get my own spot because I was already, I was very grown, <laughs> 22. And from the Midwest, so I was like very, I like ask anyone in the scene there, like Saul or Brad or anybody that was on the scene there that came over to my house, Wood Harris, whoever. I had a big couch in my living room. They used to be like, you had the biggest like living room set. <laughs> anybody in New York. Nobody has big old living room sets because it's New York. So you're like a minimalist. You want to like put like a small table and some pillows. I had a big ass couch and the chaise to go with it. Like what? So Detroit. Anyway, so there. Tariqa, shout out to Tariqa Church. You can ask most deaf, Talib. All them people used to come over my house. It was good times in, in Brooklyn, man. So 95. So I came there and, and, and the rest is her story. You know, five months in and won the Apollo and things changed really quickly. So then I became a book publisher, as you know, out of that. I was gonna ask, so so once you get access to this platform, people are checking for you, you're doing amazing things at Apollo, then you create more black press. Yeah, 1997, I created more black press. Um, I have been, I had uh, Faith Childs as my literary agent at the time. Um, I had my book was my manuscript, you know, my little baby manuscript for the words I'm fed in my mouth. That was probably not that good. Um, was getting turned down left and right. Oh, well. And, uh, and, and I cried like, you know, and then I was mad at myself. I was like, Jessica, you don't care about what these publishers think. I got to care what they thought about my poetry. Um, and so I stopped caring. And, um, so I broke my ties with my literary agent and, you know, she's beautiful. I love her to this day. And, and I started more black press and published the words on foot in my mouth. Uh, sold about 20,000 copies of my first book, which is right now still out of control for a poetry book, uh, out of my Brooklyn apartment at that. And um, my boyfriend at the time did the book cover. My other friend did my tyrant, did my layout and design. Tony Medina did my editing. Most wrote the intro, Tarika wrote the intro. Like I just used the people that was around me to help me make my little book. And I wrote my press releases and organized my, cause I knew I was a journalist. So I knew how to write press releases and do PR. So I knew how to write a press release about the girl from the Apollo, the one with the braids, she's got a book. <laughs> and so I set up my own book tour and yeah. And then my first poet that I published was uh, Saul Williams, the seventh octave in 1998. And so began my my world as a as a book publisher, and um, yeah, that thankless job <laughs> that I, I seem to love so much. I've I've taken a break from it, and I'm this year um, haven't signed the con contract yet, but I'm working on actually um, making things happen for more Black press in a bigger way. And so, God willing, I'll be able to put my publisher hat back on um, and have more reach. So let's just say that. So. Yeah, that's what's up. Mm -hmm. um, so I know we only got a couple of minutes, a few minutes left, but I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, you mentioned some of the artists who you, who are part of your your family. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about some of the projects that you've been a part of, especially? Yeah. 
more recently, well, during the pandemic, I um, did uh, I'm on Common's album, so I opened Beautiful Revolution. And um, even though I've known Rashid for many years, we're not close, close friends. We've been around each other. We've done a photo shoot for Essence Magazine together. We know each other. Um, but um, Kareem Riggins is my friend, friend, and he's from Detroit. And he been he's been working with um, Common the last all his last projects, August Green and all that. He's um, a big supporter of my work and he's been wanting to get me on Common's albums like three years ago he's been trying and so when they called me on the three-way for this one it was a no-brainer um Common was explaining to me like what he wanted what he what beautiful revolution meant to him and I, I was just like I I got it it's you know it's self-mastery let me just get off the phone and let me just write it and, and that's what I did so it's a beautiful piece but me and Kareem I'm on also on Kareem's uh head not sweet so if y'all are hip hop heads and you don't have head not sweet, you should get it because Kareem is a beast. Um, amazing, one of my favorite drummers and, and producers. And so I just have, I really enjoy writing to his. I don't like to write to people's music, to be honest. I like to write my poem and then make music, make producers create music or I create, my band creates music around it. Um, but I do like writing to Kareem's. Um, he's got an energy inside his uh, music that I enjoy and I, I get inspired by. And so I've also have a techno record out with Jeff Mills and Eddie Folks, some of the biggest names in techno in the world, um, Jeff Mills being from Detroit. And so that came out in 2020 as well. Um, it's called The Crystal City is Alive, The Crystal City being Detroit. And so these things are all available, like that's on vinyl and you can get it at digital platforms as well. And um, what else? Yeah, I'm, I'm working. And then my first like MC that I worked with, I recorded with Nas, of course, Nostradamus. I did the intro and outro to that in 1999 on Nostradamus, the prediction and the outcome. Afro angels have my weapons and tangles, black star spangled, fragile like hematite with the east spoils I write despite the lack of sunlight. Got my battle boots tight now that the government's gone. Continue left from your right wing's assassin laughing while the new world's a something. I don't know. That's the intro. That's <laughs> some of it anyway. Shout out to Nas. And um, but Antonio Hart, actually is a jazz artist, saxophone player on Impulse Records. Um, he had a beautiful record called Here I Stand. And my poem, The Words Don't Fit In My Mouth, my first book is actually on his record. So that predates Nas. I think that came out in like 96, 97, something like that. Shout out to Antonio Hart. And I got records with The Last Poets and my album, Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James came out in uh, 2015. I got signed to Talib Kweli's label. Shout out to Kweli. Looking out for his sister, um, but it's a really beautiful project. So he should he could not put that album out. Um, John Dixon, uh, my pianist, wrote most of the music, and um, of course I wrote all the lyrics. And it's a really beautiful, really really beautiful project. Jose James is on it, and Voyeurs, Ursula Rucker, Imani Azuri, One Below. Uh, yeah, Words Words, one of my favorite MCs. Yo, y'all don't love Words Words, then y'all don't love hip hop. So shout out to Words Words. He got a book out too. Um, I'm looking for it. Like, it's, I usually have a book like right next to me. So, yeah. And oh, I'm on Jeezy's album. I'm on Church in These Streets. <laughs> so, there's that. Um, yeah. I'll be working. <laughs> I only have two questions left for you because I know we've only got a few minutes left. Okay. Um, and one of them was about the project that you just did for Detroit when Detroit was trying to woo Amazon to come to the city. I'll move here and move the world. Yes. I feel, like, I feel like you should have some sort of an official title with the Detroit government as an official spokesperson. Are, are you not at least the poet laureate of Detroit? Um, see, 
question. So Naomi Long Magic um, just passed away and she's been our Detroit Poet Laureate for quite some time. Um, so I believe they're looking for now Detroit Poet Laureate. I, I don't, you know, people have called me the Detroit Poet Laureate the whole time I've lived here and the whole time I've lived here, I've been correcting them saying, no, it's our sister Naomi Long Magic. You know, may she rest in peace, publisher, Lotus Press, one of my ment mentors. Um, so not officially, no. Um, I'm quite interested in being the Michigan Poet Laureate, though, because it comes with a stipend. <laughs> and so I like that um, even more so, maybe. And so that I can, um, and it's it's attached with going and doing work in schools, which is something that I already do in promoting poetry. Um, so I don't know, I'd, 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 I'd be honored to have it. Um, but I think right now the Detroit Poet Laureate uh, position is open and, is open and they're officially looking. Um, the governor appointed me to the Michigan I'm on the board of the Michigan Council of um, Arts and Humanities right now. So I'm excited to be doing that kind of work as well. And being in the inside of what, like knowing, learning about grants and how, who gets money for certain things in the arts in the state. Mm -hmm. So my reach is in that world as well. And so, yeah, so we'll see. I'll let you know if I get the Poet Laureate ship. <laughs> it, it might even make sense to reach out to um, Kamala about what, what's up with the U.S. Poet Laureate. I, I'm thinking too small. I'm just thinking Detroit. You on Michigan. Let's let's go for America. I I mean, you know, the thing is like, you know, so this is my new book. Like, we want our bodies back, right? My book just came out. But, you know, I've been so independent for so long, brother. Like, you know, this book is like my first book. I'm the, I'm the first Black woman um, poet since Gwendolyn Brooks to be published by HarperCollins. So... Um, and before that, you know, I just never, I've been antho heavily anthologized, but you know, I've been doing this, I've been doing this on my own, you know, independently with the more black press. And so, I mean, I would love to be the U.S. poet lawyer or, or get a sticker or <laughs> I want an African-American um, literary award for poetry this year, um, uh, an award that Yvette Hayward, wonderful sister that's been doing this award for many years. So myself, Mike, Eric Dyson, you know, all kinds of incredible people um got that award this year ed gordon um and susan taylor was on the call it was amazing uh, and i and i cried i was really because it was it was it's it's reader nominated and it's african-american folks you know looking at my work um getting awarded and getting like some kind of uh acknowledgement from that kind of a big u.s poet laureate i mean maybe one day i'll take it you know but it's not something i aspire to it's not something i look for a lot of my friends, uh, Tayyamba Jess, you know, um, Tracy K. Smith. I mean, I know the Poet Laureates. Um, uh, Jericho Brown is amazing. He just won um, for poetry last year. So, I mean, I, my friends are the poets. So I'm close to them. I'm friends with them. <laughs> and, I, and I read with them. So if it's, mashallah, man, like if it's meant to be, it'll happen. But I'm not sitting around waiting for no awards. I'm just writing. I'm writing. I'm writing film script. I got a feature film I'm writing on. Working um, with my dear, my dear, I don't know what to call him, my partner um, and friend, uh, Booker Snow. We're writing, uh, he's helping me finishing up a feature film and we're shooting uh, two videos in Detroit next week. Um, uh, I won't tell, say a lot about them, but just know it's to promote poetry and, and visuals. And I'm, I'm really leaning towards film um, right now. I'm very excited about not just being in front of the camera as an actor, but to, to write scripts. And I have scripts in me and I'm I'm getting pushed out of my comfort zone and I'm excited about it. And so awards, man, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to buy some more real estate. So <laughs> I got to get some more money <laughs> straight on the awards. If they come with a check, then I want it. 
No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Last question, because I, I, I want to ask you about the thing that, that you're about to head to. Corey. I don't know if I can even talk about what I'm about to do, to be honest. Okay. But I, I won't ask about that. I'm about to celebrate our, our, our MVP. Let's just say that, you know, it's just, I'm going to be part of a celebration for um, Kamala Harris. I'm really excited about. So, well, well, let me flip the question then. Can can you give advice? Because since you do so much work with young people, whether mm-hmm. that's in schools or young people who might be incarcerated, what is a word of advice that you would give to a young person who's trying to find their way right now? Thinking about, you know, they could be working, they could be that nine-year-old working on their novel. They could be that person in high school exploring theater. What's a word of advice you would give to someone who's following in your footsteps that oh my god my footsteps Ooh. um that uh be fearless make mistakes um that you can use your imagination to take you anywhere um i had gone i had written so much about the ivory coast and about ghana that i forgot that i had not been to the continent of africa and when i was landing in ghana for the first time during the um it was the year of the return. We went to 18 and we stayed until New Year's Eve into 19 with my son King. You know, I was like, I was taking my son to Ghana. I had already been to Ghana. I had never been to Ghana, but I had been to Ghana. And that this is the machine <laughs> that you need to get you everywhere. And your competition is not your friends or your peers. That's why I celebrate my my brothers and sisters who get them U.S poor laureateships and get them national book awards. I mean, I cry, I'm, I'm here for them. Um, they're not my competition. Your competition is yourself, being your best self. I'm always trying to write my next great book. It's not about the poet next to me. That's why slamming wasn't for me. You know, it's cute, it's hip hop, it's very like, you know, it's like battle rap with poems. It's not my thing, I did it. Um, it, it, it wasn't for me. It's a good exercise if you're young, just to like learn how to like have stage presence and confidence build. Um, so I use it in, in, in with young people for that kind of thing and for fun. Um, but yeah, like your greatest competition should be with yourself and and read everybody and and study your craft. Like know your shit. Like don't let anybody. You know, I remember walking up to a poet and um, no offense to the poet, but he had had like three CDs worth of spoken word poems and didn't know like who Ntozaki Shange was, you know? And he admitted it to me. And I, th- I thought it was a real humbling thing like for him to even admit it. Cause I was like, dude, how do you not know? <laughs> and, but you say you're a poet and you're doing all this work, but you don't know Ntozaki Shange and Sonia Sanchez and Amir Baraka and Jane Cortez and Lucille Clifton. Like, come on, you gotta know, you gotta know Baba Hakim Adabuti. You gotta know the wise prophets. You gotta, you gotta know the last poets. You have to know Nikki Giovanni. Like, you know, like these brothers and sisters were fighting for us. They were fighting for black studies departments, Quincy Troop. They're they're fighting, um, you know, for us. To, like I wouldn't exist if not for them. And so, yeah, always be around people who are smarter than you, who you think are better than you um, so that you can learn. So you can learn, so you can grow. I'm getting better. I'm always getting better. I'm not my favorite poet. <laughs> so <laughs> Nikki Feeney is my favorite poet. One of the favorite poets of mine, and uh, and Sonia Sanchez. So, well, it looks like I'm following your advice because I'm I'm staying in the presence of someone who is greater than I. I appreciate you so much for being a part of this inaugural Alternative Winter Break. We're gonna have lots of young people be able to see this video, and thank you so much for for being able to spend some time. Excuse my curse words. Oh my God, sorry, I said it at the S word a couple of times, but y'all say it too. 
So. They do. <laughs> they've heard, they've heard, if, if, they, if they don't use them, they don't know what it means. So exactly. exactly. I appreciate you. And I, I would look forward to doing the word beats in life in real life again. Oh okay. my God. And then if the young people are in DC, if they haven't gone to the Smithsonian, is that, are they back open yet? The National Museum still closed? When they open back up, if my video is still there, <laughs> they should go see me on the fourth floor because I'm there spitting the little poems. And so you could be, you could end up in a museum as a poet. That's funny. I'm gonna try to connect you with, there's a brand new museum in DC called Planet Word. It's an entire museum dedicated to language. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to connect y'all. Don't try to. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> Okay. All right. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, everyone, y'all, if you're listening, you can follow me at Jessica Care More. I am on Instagram more than other places because the old people are on Facebook, y'all. Come to Instagram. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jessica. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be interviewing Bakari Katwana um, and wrapping up this week with uh, Dominic Painter. This has been fun. I hope that you enjoyed. Please. If you missed some of the books that were mentioned, rewind this because this gets archived on the WBL Facebook page and YouTube page. So you can go back and watch this again or share it with someone. So please check out some of the books that were mentioned. They could just change your life. All right. This podcast was produced by Executive Director Mazi Mutafa. Post-production by Rhythm Lingo Music. Past episodes can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Mixcloud. Words, Beats, and Life podcast are produced through funding from partner grants and in-kind donations from people like you. Visit wblinc.org donate to make a contribution. Music